0: You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10:30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Good morning. Today's scripture is in two parts. Exodus 1: Verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Exodus 2 verses 1 through 10. Moses is born. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi so the woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was a beautiful child she hid him three months but when she could no longer hide him she took an ark of bulrushes for him daubed it with asphalt and pitch put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank and his sister stood afar off to know What would be done to him? Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she said to her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. The word of
1: God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Tricia. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Pretty well-known story. It's a staple in those children's Bibles we used to have when we were growing up. You remember the picture? I remember the one in, in my children's Bible. It was, showed this, this kind of roundish basket floating in reeds, and this young woman leaning out to grab the basket, and other women waiting on the side. It's a basket floating in peaceful waters with the bulrushes and peace and safety. It's a lovely story of how Moses is saved by his mother from Pharaoh's law and and how Moses is reunited with his mother through a quick thinking sister and how he goes on to be adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. But it's really not a very lovely story. No, it's actually a terrifying story of an enslaved people subjected to genocide. It's a story of people who have no power, no power of their own, and to fighting evil with the only tools they have to make a small act and to save one life out of many. There are seven characters in our story. There's one male, and six female. The male, that's Moses, and he has nothing to do except lie there and cry. The real actors in this story are all women. Now, you women who are listening to this sermon, you won't have to learn too much from what I'm going to be saying in the next few minutes, so um, you know, take a break. You men, listen up. Our six women actors There's, of course, Moses' mother. She's the one who, to save her child, acts in a way to lose him. By the way, a few details on our scripture. It says she waits three months. That's probably, the commenters tell us, the time it takes Moses to grow from that newborn babe into one who's making enough noise to be heard by the neighbors. You see, Pharaoh's rule says all are to throw the male child into the river. And that includes the non-Hebrew Egyptians who were living nearby. So she waits until maybe he makes a little too much noise to keep hidden. And the word that's sometimes read as basket, you may have heard is basket, the Hebrew word is ark. Yes, it's the same Hebrew word that describes what Noah escaped in. For this too is an ark, an ark of life. So there's his mother. The second actress is his sister Miriam, a quick-witted girl. Can you just see her stepping forward and offering to find a wet nurse for this mysterious baby? Offering to find that nurse maybe with a wink-wink? It would not have escaped the Egyptian princess that this Hebrew child was not thrown in the Nile to die. Then there's a servant girl who's sent out to the water to retrieve the basket. Again, it's often translated as servant. No, the Hebrew word is slave. This is an essential worker who is sent out into the waters, away from the shore, waters that can hold crocodiles. Then there's Pharaoh's daughter. The only character of the seven who has any real power, well, I should have said any power because the power is not real. Her power depends only upon staying on Pharaoh's good side. It's strange that she takes a risk here. She does. But her power is reflective. Now, if you've been counting, you've noticed that I've listed four. But there are two others. They come a little earlier in this story, but they're critical to the story. They are Shifara and Pua. The midwives. You remember the midwives a few verses earlier? Although they're named as midwives, they're likely not the only midwives. They're probably like supervisoring, supervisory midwives uh, because many midwives would have been necessary for that population. Here's their story. And it's from Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shephara and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them at the birthstool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. In those days, in many of the cultures, the tra- not tradition, the practice was that if there were too many children or even just predilections, it was the girl who was cast out. This is true in the Greek and certainly true in the Roman traditions and Egyptian as well. Mm. So you threw the girl out, but you kept the boy. Pharaoh reverses that. Why? The idea is that the girls will be used for sexual exploitation and in domestic slavery, and over time, then, the Hebrew people will disappear to be assimilated. And ranged against this latter-day Hitler. We have one frail baby, two enslaved women who lead the midwives to defy the authorities, a desperate mother who is also enslaved, a quick-thinking young girl, enslaved as well, an enslaved essential worker who does the actual rescue, and a woman who owes what power she may have to a man. None of these women have power of their own. They live and die in a male-dominated society that acts through violence and intimidation and arbitrary use of power when it isn't just ignoring the powerless. This is a familiar context, or at least it should be familiar to us men. Let me tell you a story. It's not nearly as dramatic as the one we've heard in Scripture. It's one, though, that happened to me. When Marsha and I got married, Marsha decided to change her name. Now to do that in the state of Virginia requires a court order, believe it or not. And you get that very perfunctorily. You fill out a form, it goes before the judge, actually really probably before their clerk. gets stamped, done. When we went to do that, Marsha found out that the form was available online. Great, do it all online. the trouble is, the Arlington County Clerk's Office online couldn't get there. While they claimed they had it there, it wasn't there. So she went to another county's line, pulled up the order. A, as I say, it's a fill-in-the-blank order. Fills it out, submits it online, and then is, comes back and told she has to go down in person to get it signed by the clerk and notarized. Okay? Marsha goes down to do that. And the bottom line was, when she shows up, they said, we don't notarize here. And what's more, you've got the wrong form. And you really need to hire a lawyer to get this done. Now, By the way, Marcia is a lawyer licensed to practice in the state of Virginia. I think wisely, Marcia, furious by this, um, and they were not helping her at all or answering her questions, came back home. We went back online. We filled out the form, sent it back in, and then I went down with her. Now, while I'm a lawyer, I'm not licensed to practice in Virginia, but we both come up to the clerk's counter and the woman behind the counter at the desk promptly looks it up and says, no, we don't notarize here. And I say, but on your website, it says notarize or have the clerk sign it. We want the clerk to sign it. Oh, oh, um, let me get the clerk. And out comes a young man, and Marsha says, John, I'm going to wait over there. These two people behind the counter could not have been nicer to me. And they took the forms, filled them out, and then the, the assistant clerk said, Oh, by the way, it doesn't work online, because I asked about that. Our online, it, although it tells you it does, we haven't really gotten it fully operational. They told me that, not Marsha. We got it done and I had my eyes opened. I show up as a man, and I am accorded service and courtesy and explanations, all of which were denied to Marsha. Men, talk to your women partners or friends. Trust me you will get plenty of examples of this sort of behavior behavior that quite bluntly I couldn't even see ask about how easy it was for some of your friends women friends to open a bank account or get a credit card in their own name particularly if they were married or maybe ask them how their job interviews with men went and this is still happening today six women faced off against an empire Many of our women today, maybe all of them, have to do the same thing day in and day out, no matter what color they are. Although, if you're African American or brown or red, um, Native American, you may even have more difficulties. So ask, ask your women friends. Ask your spouses. Ask your partners. Okay, women, if you want, you can come back now because now we're going to move into what those six women did, what they did so much by doing so little. They could not save every male child. You know, we're not told in Scripture what happens to the other male Hebrew children in this environment. We're only told about one that's been saved. They did what was in their power to do, and it was very small. One child. And they could not have known what their actions would lead to. For that matter, they likely never saw beyond this one baby to save. A mother pushed by circumstances and dangers beyond her wildest imagination takes a risk to send her child out into a treacherous place, into a treacherous world alone. A sister pressed by the same circumstances sees an opportunity, acts, and places herself before power. A slave girl risks herself to grab a basket. A princess who defies the most powerful man in her kingdom to take in a child condemned to death and to protect that child. And two women who defy the law and, yes, lie to show truth to power. Each of these women, by acting as they did, pulled the first tiny skein that unraveled Pharaoh. And with that unraveled Israel's slavery and history itself. And when they did that, they set in motion the coming of our Savior. Where's our story in all of this? Let me suggest two lessons. You're hearing this sermon after our national election. By now, we should know who the president will be. So here's the first lesson. It doesn't matter who won or lost. It doesn't matter how you voted or how you fervently prayed others would vote. What matters is how, in a time of national pain and anger, you reflect Christ. What matters is how we, as individual Christians, hold our faith and pull those schemes that we have before us to unravel fear and grief and anger and pain. What matters is that we really mean it when we pray, do not lead us to temptation, but deliver us from evil. What matters is that making that prayer, we pray not to be tempted to do evil ourselves. That the evil we need protection from most of all right now is the evil that can upwell in ourselves. What matters is that we work hard to defend God's indwelling in our hearts. That's defending God's indwelling, not our own. That's the first lesson. And here's the second. Do something that shows you're defending God in your heart. Grab that tiny skein to start unraveling this tortured world. William Cavanaugh has a book out. It's titled Field Hospital, The Church's Engagement with a Wounded World. It's a wonderful book. He envisions the church as being that field hospital. By church, he doesn't mean an administration or a denomination. He means us. Remember the movie MASH or maybe the TV show? For those who don't remember it, it was about a forward medical aid station in the Korean War where harried doctors and nurses and corpsmen worked to save wounded warriors who came in under war's conditions. Like the field hospital in MASH, we can only do what we can do with what we have. And while what we have may seem very small or very little, as it certainly did to the six women who conspired to save only one child, we have no idea what God will do with that act. God has given each of us a power to be used in his way and in his plan. Now, he doesn't have to let us in on the plan, and most often God doesn't. But every act coming from the heart is part of that plan. There's many of us, many things that each of us can do in this field hospital. There's no lack of wounded. Whatever the outcome of the election, there will be many of our fellow citizens who will feel despondent, if not despairing. There will be many who are drifting in baskets, crying in grief. Reach out to them. Yes, you may be in grief too, but we have a God to serve and whose plan is for our good. Bring that plan of salvation into your heart and share it with others. And an election aside, we have people among us who are isolated and in need because of this pandemic. Reach out to them as well. And there's many ways to do that. Many of you have volunteered to contact others in our congregation. Continue to do that. Um, Do that more frequently. Reach out. Link with each other, with those in your family, with those you know, if you have their telephone number. And maybe especially if you haven't reached out to them in some time, that uh, cousin of yours you were meaning to talk to sometime, call her. There are other opportunities as well. It's an outfit called Volunteer Arlington. It has a website, volunteerarlington.org. Check it out for opportunities to serve your neighbors safely during COVID. Check out the AFAC and ASPAN websites. That's the Arlington Food Assistance and Arlington Street Persons Alliance Network. Check out their websites. See what they need. Be prepared to donate, donate money or food or time or prayer. Speaking of prayer and The Arlington Interfaith Council will be holding a post-election prayer service at 7 p.m. this evening. We've posted how to join that service. Join it. Six women, having no power, acted and in their small act started in motion the saving of the Jewish people and with that, the saving of all of us. They acted and because of that, Jesus Christ came among us. What could your small act accomplish in God's hands? Let me close with a psalm. It's Psalm 85. It's reproduced in our hymnals at page 806. It's a psalm of hope in God's plan. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him. I will make a path for his steps. We are part of God's plan, a plan that holds the promise in which steadfast love and faithfulness will meet, righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Amen.